history is foundational. There's an old saying, if you don't know where you've been, how can you know where you're going? I'm Jeff Shulman, and today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast continues its brief look at Seattle's rich musical history. With Seattle undergoing a rapid transformation, a look at the city's music past gives valuable insight into the city's future. In today's episode, you'll hear from Janie Hendricks, CEO of Experience Hendricks, the multi-million dollar company that manages the music of Seattle-born rock and roll legend Jimi Hendrix. And what I saw growing up is people that are aware of their community, that fight for justice, that fight for what's right, and also are still friendly to one another. You'll also hear about Seattle's more recent history from an inaugural member of the Seattle Music Commission, Devon Manier. No one was telling the story we wanted to tell, which was the story coming out of the central district, you know, which is not where I was born, but a neighborhood that welcomed me with open arms and was flourishing with talent and a story that needed to be told, you know. As we examine the past, present, and future of Seattle's music scene in this fourth season of Seattle Growth Podcast, these two voices add further historical perspective. Previously on Seattle Growth Podcast, you heard from the drummer of a platinum-selling Grammy-nominated Seattle band, Jason Finn of the Presidents of the United States of America. In the president's case, we were we were lucky because by the time that we started, Seattle was already sort of globally known. So all the all the major labels were already looking at Seattle, at who was doing what in the clubs. You heard from legendary Seattle radio personality Marco Collins, who had the ear of record executives from around the world who were looking to find the next big thing in music. And I just remember we all got back and we're drinking beer and just wet and muddy. And, and I just remember looking around the room going, these are all the biggest rock stars in this town right now. Like, and we're just playing kickball. That's what it was. It wasn't even soccer, dude. We were playing kickball. Everybody knew each other. Everybody was friends. Everybody partied at Nils. Everybody, you know, went to shows. There was like a, a group of people that all hung out. And it was based on the hill, basically, but it just felt tight-knit. You also heard from singer-songwriter Ben London, who began his Seattle music career while the Seattle sound, grunge, was exploding nationally. When we got here, I liked Seattle immediately. It kind of was like, a, it was still kind of had a little bit of a small-town feel. What was great about it really was that the community was very small, the people that were participating, almost to the point where there was a club on First Avenue called The Vogue that did sort of punk and rock and roll and stuff on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. And we would start going there when we first got to town to see the shows. And after going for a couple of weeks in a row, people started coming up to us and we're like, hey, we haven't seen you around here before. Are you from here? And just meeting people quickly and making friends. As the city experiences an unprecedented influx of people and money, these interviews provide some background and context that helps us understand the efforts of today's artists, fans, and music industry leaders shaping the Seattle music scene of tomorrow. Efforts that will be highlighted in upcoming episodes of Seattle Growth Podcast. The first interview of today's episode brings the spotlight to Seattle-born rock and roll legend Jimi Hendrix. Interestingly, my interview with Janie Hendrix was one of my first ever for Seattle Growth Podcast. As I was interviewing fans outside a Mariners game back in 2016, the CEO of Experience Hendrix was kind enough to share her perspective on the changes happening in our city. In this interview, she highlights some of the work being done to honor the city's history. Now join me as I speak with Janie Hendrix. I'm outside Safeco Field on Mariners game day with, uh, what's your name? Janie Hendrix. Janie, uh, thank you for your time today. Where do you live? 
Seattle. In the city? Yes. How long have you lived here? Uh, we lived in the city about almost 10 years now. Okay, what brought you here? Uh, I was born and raised in Seattle. I used to live in the suburbs growing up and always wanted to live in the city. It's easy to get around. It's, uh, I think it's a fun city. It's great to go to the market, walk down to Safeco Field or Seahawks Stadium, watch a game. And do you work in uh, the city as well? I work wherever my computer is. <laughs> oh, that's a good, that's, so your commute's the best commute in the world. Yeah. Talk to me about the changes that you're excited to see. Well, I guess for me, I'm the president and CEO of Experience Hendrix, so we do everything for Jimmy. Um, and we're building a park in Seattle, which is right across from the Northwest African American Museum. I think more open spaces and places for people to go and hang out and uh, find community with one another. I like to see that. I like the fact that uh, it's nice to see people really rallying around the Seahawks now. I've been a season ticket holder pretty much since the beginning. Had family members that played for the Seahawks and remember I couldn't give away my tickets and and now people are all you know trying to get a, a ticket here and there to see the game. So I think that's exciting being here at a Mariner game uh, with our family, uh, being able to to commune together as a family. I think that's that's really nice. I think for me that's exciting about this city that they're really pro sports, trying to bring the Sonics back. Um, you know, I think that, that all that's good. It's good for our community. And do you want to talk a little bit about your company? Well, Experience Hendricks is a family-run company, and we do everything uh, that has to do with Jimmy and preserving his legacy. We put out CDs, documentaries. Um, we also have a foundation that um, is, like I said, building the park. We opened that August 27th, and with community, we've had KSW, who's been a great supporter, and the Hard Rock Cafe. So it's been um, really nice that we've rallied a lot of community support for the, the building of the park. And do you think that the economic growth um, or the population growth has affected your ability to do that? Um, in a good way. <laughs> I think that, you know, Jimmy's been gone since 1970, and uh, there were a lot of fans that uh, are still alive today. Jimmy played here four times uh, in the Coliseum, the Arena, Six Stadium, um, and people that went to his concerts or grew up listening to his music, they're bringing their kids and their grandkids. We do tribute concerts all over the U.S., and it's really great to see uh, young fans embracing his music. And any other changes that you've seen? Oh yeah, there's <laughs> lots of buildings, uh, urban living, um, Amazon, you know, Microsoft, it's all building all around us. Um, it's kind of cool in a way, you know, I mean our city's growing, it's kind of stayed a little small for a while, so it was inevitable that it was going to happen. We have some great uh, building, um, companies rather, that have started here and were founded here, so. And what changes do you see as negative? Well, unfortunately, I think I've seen more and more homeless on the streets, which really saddens me. I think there should be really a place for them, and I think there should be facilities for uh, mental illness, more facilities that are made available, and perhaps even more housing, affordable housing. I think it goes back to just people trying to find jobs, trying to find homes, trying to find places to live. Um, the tent city, I don't think that that's really a good solution. I think that some of these buildings that aren't being occupied, perhaps, you know, the mayor, the governor can turn those into shelters for people that don't have homes. Do you plan to stay here for the next 10 years? 
Um, for the most part. I mean, I travel a lot, so Seattle is home base. We have our company here. And again, like I said, you know, we're building the park and we're part of EMP. We make sure that uh, they have a lot of things for Jim, of Jimmy's for them to look at. So definitely it is home base. Um, but the weather in the wintertime is a little cool, so I kind of tend to fly south with the rest of the birds and spend more time in the sun. <laughs> okay. Uh, and what do you hope that stays the same in the next 10 years? As there's lots of changes going on, what do you want to preserve uh, in the next 10 years? Um, I would really like to see, and what I saw growing up, is people that are aware of their community that fight for justice, that fight for what's right, and also are still friendly to one another, you know. And when you're in California, you put on your blinker and nobody wants to let you switch lanes. And Seattle was never that way. People would fall back and let you get in. It was There was always a politeness. And I hope that that continues. Any parting thoughts? Thank you. I'm glad you're doing this. I think that uh, knowledge is power and education is good and getting people's thoughts, you know. Everyone has an opinion, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But I think for the most part, for me, I think living in, in the urban life, it's, it's nice. It's fun. You know, you have a lot of tourists that come through, and it's, it's all fun. It's, it's a good place to live, I think. Thank you so much. Next, let's move the clock forward several decades from Hendrix's last performance to the beginning of this century. My next guest developed notable Seattle hip-hop artists in the early 2000s and served on the inaugural Seattle Music Commission. He's a co-founder of Sport and Life Music Group, who works with Seattle artists such as the Blacktones, whose music you could hear at the end of this episode. This guest paints a picture of what stayed the same and what's changed in Seattle music over the last two decades. Now, join me as I sit down with Devon Manier. I'm here with a key figure in Seattle's music scene, Devon Manier. He's had work as a Seattle music commissioner and now making a big contribution with the Sport and Life Music Group. Devon, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me here. So why don't we start, just tell me a little bit, you've, you've done so much in the music scene here, what are th some of the things you're most proud of? Just being able to see things through, you know, music I believed in, and artists that had a vision, honestly, and being able to help the artists get their vision to the people and get the music heard, that's honestly where I get, where I get the most joy, quite honestly. You know, it's not monetary, it's not in any sort of social media likes or anything like that, it's it's working with an artist that I respect and enjoy their work and just helping them get that to the public, you know? And, and what sparked that passion for helping people get their music out there? Probably the fact that I can't make music, <laughs> you know, and, I, and I'm around a lot of good musicians and have been pretty much my whole life, you know, yeah. Tell me about your journey. So right now, you know, you're making a big impact on, on Seattle's music community. Take me back before you got involved in anything with music. Oh, I'll, let's see here, man. The journey that led me to music, I suppose. I, I was born in Los Angeles, California. My father had a huge record collection. You know, I think that might be where things started for me. Just my parents always played music, singing around the house and whatnot. Dad played trumpet a little bit. Mom tries to sing a little bit, you know, so something always happening. And a lot of family connected to the music industry. One of my second cousins is DJ Yella from NWA. There's just always been music noise in my head since as far as I can remember, you know. Moved to Seattle or moved to Federal Way, Washington in my early teen years. Got exposed to a whole different batch of music. You know, it wasn't what I grew up with in the home or what neighborhood kids are playing in Los Angeles. Got exposed to rock and roll and punk rock and different things and found out I loved it just as much as the music I grew up on. So I'm like, why can't you listen to 
the Isley Brothers and Circle Jerks in the same day, you know what I mean, or something like that, you know. Uh, had a few different businesses of my own, mobile DJ business, CD duplication business. I think that all kind of led me to wanting to do a record label with some friends because we knew we had a lot of talent around us and no one was telling the story we wanted to tell, which was the story coming out of the Central District, you know, which is not where I was born, but a neighborhood that welcomed me with open arms and was flourishing with talent and a story that needed to be told, you know, and to be told the proper way and be represented the right way. So in a sense, I suppose we, I was responsible for taking that sound for the label downtown, you know, and earning a little respect, you know. And so tell me about people you met and the the story you wanted to tell out of the Central District. Is that story changing? Yes, it's changed. Yeah, it's changed a great deal. It's It's a very interesting story, which I could probably sit here for hours, you know, and you could uh, Google some of the more exciting moments, quite honestly, that I won't get into now. But, uh, you know, yeah, everyone we worked with from the beginning were young kids. They were most of the artists were 15, 16 years old. And we had a batch of them, you know, and these are like, as I like to say, they were hand picked off the block. You know, they were just a group of very fun, loving and talented kids, you know, and. We were able to, we were fortunate enough to put them in the studio with very talented producers like Jake One, Vitamin D, and Bean One, who all were producing on a national level at the time, you know, and they were, they saw what I saw, you know, and they opened their arms and their studios to these artists, you know, pretty much locked these kids in studio for about two years and let them do what they did, you know, and we just kept producing music, you know, Uh, a lot of them, some of them are still around today, Fatal Luciano is on Black Umbrella Records, I believe, with the local artist Raz Simone. A couple other names, uh, like I mentioned, Fly Moon Royalty, Spaceman. Earlier in the years, we worked with artists like Jay Pender and Dime Def. We're all artists still doing things, but these were those were some of the, the formative years, you know? Yeah, fun times. D Black, I don't know how I could leave D Black, my business partner and the most inspiring artist of them all, who currently, uh, he's moved to Israel and makes music under the name Nassim now and has a great career going right now for him, yeah. He, he's gone through a lot of changes, yeah. But still making music nonetheless, you know, yeah. yeah. So you are one of the founding 21 members of the Seattle Music Commission. Tell me about what that did and why you decided to serve on it. Oh, you know, at the time, I believe I was asked by James Keblis, who was the head of the Office of Film and Music at the time, and he, before this, for a couple of years, he had spoke about this and talked to me every now and then. He had a vision of Seattle pretty much having a music commission that could help facilitate things and just represent what's magic about this city, you know. And he assembled 21 amazing and extremely intelligent people. You know, I found myself sitting at the table with just the, the brain power was just enormous in the room, you know, as well as contributing myself. I learned a ton of stuff, you know. And uh, we, you know, we were able to do quite a few things at first. I don't think anyone knew where we were. Our feet were just kind of in water trying to figure out what to do. We're like, we're commissioned. It's about music. Music is cool. Music is fun. Musicians make money. But what can we really do? You know, and like I say, James had a vision. Things ended up panning out to, how can I say, sort of, a, I don't want to say campaigns, but um, initiatives. Yeah, initiatives. Uh, Seattle Music Career Day. Uh, what else do we have? We had the City of Music Internship, the City of Music Roadshow Summits. Um, we uh, 
the airport initiative where there's music in the airport and overhead announcements by musicians that you hear, local musicians. And I'm trying to think of what else we've done. Um, loading zones for musicians, uh, music funding, education in age, ages K through eight. And that's all that comes to mind right now, you know, but I'm sure they're moving on to many more things. But there was a lot going on, you know, six years. The memory's a little bit foggy on everything. Help me understand why music was important enough to you to serve on this commission and important enough to the city to bring the commission together. I think for all of us, you know, there's something special about Seattle and there's something special about music in Seattle. As James used to say, there's something in the water here, but we don't quite know what it is, you know. But uh, Seattle's always been more of a community. And which means we're closer to the people, you know, you know, not knocking cities like New York, L.A., Nashville, anything like that. But they're more business cities, industry cities. And we're more of a community here. You know, lots of nonprofits. I can knock on the door of the VP of Sub Pop and ask questions, you know, things like that. People are close here. All the tech companies here. Rhapsody. We've had, you know, we've had a number of companies here that you that are accessible to you. And again, it's community. You know, these are people we go out and have happy hour with and drinks with and it's just uh and I, I feel like we all agree there's something special here and we'd like to keep it as special as we can you know and by forming a commission of like-minded people that care about Seattle and its music scene I think it was a no-brainer you know and so let's talk about what you see as special here you've been involved in the music scene for decades now what has been constant about Seattle's music scene in those decades that you've been involved creativity and a DIY mentality. And yeah, those, those are the two things that always stand out. You know, I mean, I'm not so sure if the city is meant to be the city. You know, people always talk about, oh, Seattle, going to put it on the map. Jimi Hendrix, Hearts, or Mix-A-Lot, Macklemore, whatever it is, you know, Nirvana. I'm not so sure that everything is supposed to be seen like that out of Seattle. Everything doesn't reach those heights. But no matter what, real music connoisseurs know how special the city is. Real music connoisseurs still support the musicians from here, from all over the world. They support musicians here, and that may, may just be the case. We may not have 15 Macklemores and 15, you know, hearts, but we have 3,000 very creative, talented musicians that do things on their terms and make a contribution to the art form, you know? In your decades here in the music industry in Seattle, a lot is probably changing just as Seattle is changing. Are any of those changes for the better that you've noticed? I'd definitely say there's more opportunities now, you know, more more corporate opportunities on a sponsorship level, on a uh, on a just a booking level for events on that level, on that minute level for musicians. You know, there's tons of corporate events that are, you know, booking bands and whatnot. Uh, more people are here to participate in nightlife and contribute that way. Those are the positive things, yeah, for sure. When you say people are getting booked for corporate events, does that help them in their arc, or is it a distraction? Uh, some view it as a distraction. I personally think it helps because money is good <laughs> always, you know, for a band, you know, to have to, you know, perform somewhere and receive a nice check versus playing at a bar and receiving, you know, 33 and a third percent of the door or something like that, which is fine as well, but... uh yeah, I don't think I don't see it as a distraction. I've never saw it like that for my clients. And if any of my clients did view it as that, we'd just move around that, I suppose, you know. I'd probably put up a fight a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's their, you know, it's their business, you know. And so let's talk a little bit about your work with clients. So tell me about Sport and Life Music Group. Sport and Life Music Group is 
a talent management agency, a small boutique agency. We currently work with two clients under management and a few other clients that we assist with booking and just projects in general. Before that, we were a record label, a hip-hop label for 11 years. Those were the learning years, and, you know, it was a great experience. We did a lot in the Northwest, in the region, in the city. And, you know, just it was just time for me to move on after 11 years and kind of focus you know, my, my talents on one thing, which I felt management is what I was strongest at versus doing everything, which I know a little bit about everything to run a record label, but as management, I can just narrow my focus, you know? And so for that artist who's trying to make it, they're looking at how to get a manager and where to get a manager. Who are the kind of clients that you serve and, and what do you bring for them? You know, for me, you know, I don't really take cold calls, you know, people looking for management. If something strikes me that I may approach it or if I see a band that I really believe in, I may approach it. But I've got to beyond the music. I've got to like the person as well, you know. And once that's established, you know, because they're going to be spending a lot of time together and working very intimately together, you know. So once that's established, I, uh, I provide whatever they need. You know, every band is on a different level and doesn't need the same thing. Some need social media help from the beginning, you know, and then we just start at the beginning and build on up. Some are already established and just need more help with the day-to-day -day business, you know, and just some structure and maybe a outline, a plan, a strategy. So I'll help there. But whatever is needed, I can jump in, you know. As you're trying to help artists advance in their career and through your Sport and Life music group, what are some of the things you're seeing in Seattle that make it more difficult? Yes, for sure. Uh, the, the things that come to mind right now would be the cost of living. You know, it's definitely becoming harder for artists to live in the city, which in one way is, is bad because they want to be in the city and close to their peers, their first, their tier one consumers, you know, the venues and just the, the, the environment, you know. On another end, more uh, scenes can, you know, grow in other areas, you know, 10 miles out you have. Burien or Des Moines, you know, things like that up in Shoreline. You have Darrell's Tavern. You know, things are starting to happen places. But uh, the other, I'd say besides the cost of living, I'm not so sure that all of the people moving to town are, and they don't have to be music fans or fanatics, and they spend money at the door for sure. They're buying tickets at places on Capitol Hill and whatnot. But I'm not so sure that they're as invested as the old Seattle music fan. It's yet to be determined, but that's just my general feel, you know. Tell me about that old Seattle music fan. Where, where did you come across them? How did you know that they're different, a, a different breed, so to speak? That's a good question as well. Um, a different breed, I think it was just part of, it was, again, it was in the water here, you know, just from, from the beginning of music in Seattle. I just think that's just the way things were, you know, from the punk rock days. And I'm just going back to when I, you know, stepped on the scene. And even before that, from what I hear, but, you know, people just always support it. And they come from all around Tacoma, Bremerton, Everett. Everyone came here. This was the hub where you found new music. You know, bands from eastern Washington came here and whatnot. And fans fans were just excited about that, you know. I guess it's probably the grunge years that made it really exciting and kind of put the spotlight on the whole DIY thing. But I, I believe the old fans came to Seattle for that. You know, they know there's a lot of independent bands that are doing really cool stuff. And by learning from that band, you got to learn about this band and the next band and the next band. That's just kind of how it used to happen, you know? What do you think of when you think Seattle hip-hop and, and what is the health of Seattle hip-hop beyond Macklemore? When I think Seattle hip-hop, I mean, I tend to... I tend to go to an era, personally. You know, when I was in my 20s, you know, I just think about as the golden era. 
you know, the, the, the mid nineties were just a sweet time before that was an interesting time. Cause that's the birth of it. After that was more when I was involved as a, a you know, in business. And then now there's as, as, just as this hip hop scene everywhere, it's oversaturated, in my opinion. You know, a lot of great talent here, but it's hard to weed through things. You know, you go to a festival, a lot of things sound the same, um, a lot of things look the same. And again, I think that's more of a generational thing. I'm not necessarily putting that on Seattle, but I just think that's kind of where hip hop is right now. And I'm sure we'll move away from that, but it's, it seems to be stuck right now to me. You know, and I'm not knocking. There's a lot of things I like about hip hop today, but it does feel a little bit. Yeah, just stuck right now. So if somebody's trying to make a name for themselves in Seattle's hip hop scene, where is it that they could perform and how do they how do they get on the scene? Uh, you know, look at look at the local concert promoters, you know. Uh two that come off top would be Rain City Presents and Wake Up Presents, who I happen to do the marketing for for their concerts. Uh you know, those are good entry-level ways when you see them bringing national acts to town, reaching out to the people that book those places, those shows, and, you know, finding out if you can get an opening slot. They're always willing to work with new artists, and they that's what they do. They want new artists to come to them. Other than that, you know, reaching out to writers, blogs, and uh, the music venues, you know, the ones that pretty much predominantly carry hip-hop would be Nectar, The Crocodile, uh, New Mo's, places like that. Yeah, Showbox, you know. Okay, so hip hop's in. Yeah, it's definitely in the bigger venues in town. No question about that. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, just getting a hold of those booking agents. You know, booking guys there. Basically, you said there's some two things that have been enduring about Seattle: the kind of do-it-yourself and the community aspect of it. Sure. What do you hope the listener of this podcast does to keep Seattle's soul going forward? I'd like to see more tech companies involved with music. Honestly, to me, that would be a dream come true. It's like the two, especially in 2018 and for the last few years now, the two are pretty much married together. But for a city that has such a big tech industry, they don't match all the time. You know, I don't see the people working together as much as I'd like to see. That's to me, that's the one thing that stands out that I would love to see change. What would that look like? Oh, you know, you know, it's tech, man. It could look like anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it could look like anything you want it to look like, especially where we live, you know? But, you know, giving, I, th- I think it would give us in this region a foot up against the rest of the industry across the world, you know, in the country, because while they're, you know, some of these cities are rooted in old ways and they have huge machines behind them, like again, LA, Nashville, New York, we could come at it from a whole different perspective with these tech companies, you know? And all of a sudden, Seattle, Portland, you know, Oregon, we're known for this, you know? We have yeah, these companies here. We can come up with ideas. There's a lot of great brain energy up here, you know? It's just great new ideas, you know? The industry, it's it's a blank canvas now. We can do whatever we want, you know? And so what what's the benefit to people in the tech industry to start thinking about music, start thinking about this intersection that you're talking about? You know, I think the biggest benefit to them would be getting the word out, using the musician's brand as a vehicle you know, for whatever messaging they need. That's the first thing that comes to mind, you know, but I'm sure, again, sit in the right room with the right people and I'm sure a lot of other ideas can come come forth, you know. Anything else that you'd like to see for the future of Seattle's music scene? Yeah, you know, we've always lacked a little bit of infrastructure here. I'd love to see more infrastructure in terms of managers, publicists, labels, uh, radio promotions, you know, all the stuff that other cities have. 
we have a very we have very limited resources here. Again, because of the age we're in, you can work with someone anywhere, but it's nice to be able to walk down the street and talk to your publicist, you know. Walk down the street and, you know, like we say, a sub pop record just downtown, you know. And we have a few, you know, booking agencies and things like that, but to just see more of that here, you know, based here. Anything else you'd like to see for the future of Seattle's music scene? Just more success for everybody. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's always great to hear hometown stories. Yeah. And right now, as we know, like I say, Macklemore has one of the best stories happening right now. And I would love to see that duplicated again and again and again. Yeah. And are you working with anybody now that you think could become the next, whether it's Macklemore, Nirvana, or Jimi Hendrix, or any other of the big names that have oh, come I, out of Seattle? You know, I always think that, no matter who I'm working with. But uh, but honestly, I am working with the Black Tones right now, who's a really cool, we call them, you know, punk blues, rock blues trio. And uh, they're, they're doing some really cool things, you know, all black trio playing rock and roll. And that's kind of unique in Seattle. And it's they're fun to work with, you know. And how'd you find them? You know, uh, friends had been telling me to check them out. I used to manage a band called a group called Fly Moon Royalty, who was very successful around here for about six years in the region. Did a little touring out of state and whatnot. And when uh, our relationship ended, you know, one of them mentioned, hey, you should check out the Black Tones. And then I heard it from another friend and another friend. So I'm like, who are these guys, you know? I uh, ended up going to Upstream Festival, seeing the Black Tones, and yeah, fell in love with the music, approached them, and yeah, they were open to the idea, yeah. So where are they out in their career? They are playing, they are pretty much buzzing locally, yeah, right now, and which is a great place to catch a band, you know, yeah. Some of the work is, some of the, some of the work is done, you know, some of the heavy lifting's been done, so now we can strategize and get them other places now, yeah. So we've talked about the future of Seattle music. What's the future of Devon Manier? Uh, next up, I'm starting a new venture entitled Say It Loud Northwest. We're pretty much going to be a vehicle for alternative black musicians. You know, you call them alternative, progressive, Afropunk, whatever you want to call it. But I feel like there's... There's a little void in the in the marketplace here in the Northwest. It needs to be addressed, you know, not the marketplace, meaning to get money, so to speak, which is, I suppose, what the marketplace really is. But uh, just a platform for these artists to speak on, you know, because there's a lot of cool things happening around here that are, you know, of the alternative sense with with black musicians, you know, uh, like Future Shock, another band I'm working with. They're an Afro new wave band, which is really fun. These guys wear masks and make new wave music. You've got... These, you know, uh, staffs and cat of these satisfactions, Shabazz palaces, a lot of just cool people doing different things. And, the you know, little alternative from normal hip hop, traditional little alternative from normal soul music and whatnot. And I think it'd be nice to, you know, contribute to that if I can, you know. So uh, say it loud Northwest, we're going to be going to start with a directory online. that's sort of a, you know, a way to find these artists all throughout the Northwest for artists to find each other and for venues to find these artists as i sometimes hear venues say how can we find these people we don't know where they are so you see them booking the same quote unquote alternative black artists you know but now here's a directory so there's no excuses not to book these other people you know and after that we plan to move into events and eventually a music festival what do you mean by alternative i suppose in, in my definition of alternative is going to be anyone doing something alternative than the norm around them right now. For instance, I'll just, uh, on the website, in the directory, you can have someone like an Aaron Jones who 
might not his sound may not be that alternative, but he's definitely doing alternative to what you see most black men doing in Seattle, which may be, you know, I'm not gonna say everyone's a rapper, but we may be a rapper. He may be playing this genre of music or whatnot. But uh, Aaron, he's doing something a little different than what you normally see in Seattle. You know, other than that, you know, we uh black punk rock, uh, electronic music, even rap that's just slightly different than what you normally hear on popular radio and what people perceive as rap, you know? Um, yeah, pretty much just anything's doing something slightly different, you know, progressive, thinking about it differently, approaching it differently. Yeah. And there's a lot happening here in the Northwest that, that people don't know about, you know? Yeah. Is there any higher purpose beyond filling a marketplace need? Uh, for me personally, again, I just like to, I think it's just, I think it's a voice that needs to be heard and is, is, is underheard in this region, you know? Um, you know, and I'm, and again, I'm not speaking about black musicians, so to speak, because there are plenty of outlets for black musicians in the region. But again, for this sect of black musicians, you know, and and I have to compare it to an Afro punk in New York because that's the only thing I can say to make people get the picture, you know. But that's kind of what we're going for, you know. Is the goal of this new project more to help young African Americans to see that they could do a different type of music than maybe? they normally see or is it to the current people who are doing this music help them find a new audience a little of both you know growing up i was that black kid that listened to punk rock or heavy metal as well as you know everything else i listened to but i was open to that and i and now i see that in the black community more you know i see kids on skateboards with blue mohawks you know that wouldn't have happened in the 90s, you know. You might, you might have got beat up <laughs> in the neighborhood for that, quite honestly. Not that it was right, but just saying that's just how it is, you know. But now, you know, with the way music has progressed and the Internet has made everything an intersection, you know. You see kids experimenting with different things, you know. I see young, you know, I'll go somewhere and see a young black kid with a dead Kennedy shirt on, you know. I don't know if that kid knows who the dead Kennedys is or not, but there's something appealing to that you know, appealing to that, to that child, you know, and I think it's a good thing, yeah, to that kid, yeah. Any concluding thoughts on Seattle's music scenes, past, present, or future? Keep up the good work, really, yeah. I mean, I don't really have complaints about it, honestly. You know, it's, it's been a fun journey, and I haven't been involved in it as long as most of my peers and friends. You know, I've we started the label in 2001, I believe, you know, but I've been around it pretty much, you know, since I've been here, but uh yeah, it's a great it's a great story, you know, if you follow its lineage from the beginning to now, it's it's awesome. Yeah. Devon, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Thank you. Appreciate it. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share? Reach out to me on Twitter at Prof Shulman. I'd love to hear your reactions to what was said by today's guests. Next week, we transition from Seattle's musical past to some of the music artists emerging today. You'll hear from two hip-hop artists who are breaking out in a big way. You'll hear from Dave B., who appeared on Jimmy Fallon with Macklemore, performed in a sold-out key arena, and headlined his own sold-out show at the Neptune. Everyone's really chill. Everyone has, like, their own little flavor, which is dope, but everyone's also very, very supportive. Like, they'll come to your show. They'll help promote your show, even if they're not on it. Like, everyone's really cool. I, uh, I got to meet, like, some of the closest homies through just them also being artists and and we just kind of connect like that you'll hear from seattle's own dre's who has opened for snoop dogg was praised by p diddy and had his music appear on the hit show empire langston hughes cultural arts center provided opportunities for me and a lot of 
you know, the people who you see doing it well today, Vitamin D, myself, Macklemore even, like everybody will credit this place in this space for being a hub and saying, if you want to perform on a stage, you know, they'll put on talent shows and then the championship would be at the Seattle Center, right? That was a big deal, right? Next week's episode gives you a rare inside look at the journey a Seattle hip-hop artist takes in the ride to prominence. Subscribe to Seattle Growth Podcast and iTunes so you don't miss this episode or any of the other great episodes coming in this season four. I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey of Seattle Growth Podcast. Now, enjoy Woman in Black by The Black Tones, a Seattle group managed by Devon Manier's Sport and Life Music Group. <laughs> I run the house